Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 5, concerning false and true worship. Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people that their rebellion to the house of Jacob and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 58. It continues on what Judy was reading, uh, verses 6 through 12. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, Then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have to be honest with you. There's something that's been gnawing at me. No, gnawing is too strong. Something that's been prickling me. Uh, every so often, something that gets my feathers slightly ruffled, and I I didn't quite know why. 
And, and this has been happening not only throughout my time here, but my time throughout growing up in the church. I grew up in a Presbyterian church back in Michigan. Growing up in the church, I've heard a certain complaint over and over, and I've even found myself falling into it. Now, we all want our Sunday morning worship to impact us specifically. And because we know ourselves better than others do, we know what kind of music and sermons and prayers make us feel most rejuvenated so that we can go into the rest of the week. So when we are asked about our worship experience by our friends or family or neighbors, we usually fill that answer with things like, well, I, I wish we sang more Amazing Grace or Old Favorites, or I wish we sang more Chris Tomlin and contemporary Christian songs. We, we want our sermons and our prayers to be impactful and uplifting, but not overly long. We want to come into worship and feel fed and then leave feeling better than we arrived. And sometimes that happens, but not every time. And it's in those times when it doesn't happen, if they string together too much, that we start to ask, okay, what's wrong? Why aren't we singing the right songs or hearing the right prayers? Or we think, well, this sermon series just isn't very good. And again, allow me to point out that I am using the word we on purpose, because even I feel this way sometimes. There have been sermon series that I did not like. I'm sorry you found out this way. <laughs> Either because the content, I didn't feel like the content spoke to me directly or because the idea of the sermon series caused me and Judy far, far too much work. <laughs> I've blatantly gone to Adam and asked him, hey, when's the next time we're singing Mumford and Sons in the nine o'clock worship service? No one here is beyond reproach. But it is here where we must sit with the difficult words of the prophet Isaiah that we read today and truly soak them in. Sometimes when we read God's words, we are comforted. And sometimes when we read God's word, we are charged to act. And sometimes when we read God's word, we are challenged, confronted with hard truths about ourselves and beckoned to change. I was challenged by these words when I read them from the lectionary for this week. And so I, in turn, hope to challenge you with them. Now, because our scripture comes from Isaiah 58, we are in what scholars call third Isaiah. You see, Isaiah's historical prophetic ministry to Israel was from 738 BCE to 701 BCE and is encapsulated in chapters 1 through 39. This gave rise to an Isaiah tradition within the Israelite people, probably preserved by disciples of Isaiah himself. Now, nearly 150 years later, we have what is known as Second Isaiah, which is chapters 40 through 55. This is an anonymous poetic vo voice about God's people in exile in Babylon. The rest of Isaiah, 
chapters 56 through 66, our third Isaiah. And third Isaiah is set back in Jerusalem and Judea after the exile, but before they rebuilt the temple. Which means that third Isaiah was written sometime between 538 BCE and 515 BCE. The book of Isaiah spans 200 years. So it is always important to know which Isaiah you are in. Now that we have the background, let us revisit some of the words that Isaiah speaks to the people. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob, their sins. This is not the beginning of an uplifting sermon. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, the Israelites and all of us seem to need to strap in for this one. Now we've heard these kinds of things before. God is mad at Israel because Israel has done something wrong again. This is a dysfunctional relationship that we watch unfold throughout the entire Old Testament. God makes a covenant with Israel. Israel turns their back on God. God then sends an angel or a king or a judge or a prophet to the people. And sometimes that is enough the people change their ways, and then we start the process all over again. Sometimes, however, they ignore the angel king judge prophet, or even kill them. Israel then gets taken over by an enemy army. They realize, hey, we must have done something wrong. They call out to God. God comes and saves them, and then the process starts all over again. God, it seems, is the woman in any number of Hallmark movies where we say, no, don't go back to him. He's just going to hurt you again. And yet, that is exactly what God does. So what is it this time? What has Israel done? Started worshiping another God again, made another golden calf, started feeling like they accomplished everything and so they don't really need God anymore? No. In fact, the very next verse of scripture tells us that day after day, they seek God and delight to know God's ways. And in verse 3, God says that Israel asks, why do we fast, but you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves, but you do not notice? It seems as if these people are very committed to God. In modern terms, they're at church every single Sunday. Rain, snow, sleet, hail, it doesn't matter, they're there. They're the first ones in, they're the last ones out, they're praising the loudest during songs, they're praying the longest during prayers, they're putting huge amounts into the offering plate. So why does God start by saying, shout out their sins? Because, my friends, Israel has allowed their worship to shift focus from God to themselves. The people of God have allowed their rituals and worship to become hypocritical and self-serving. You see, in Isaiah's day, praise, prayer, and fasting are cherished not as gifts that nurture a relationship with God, but instead 
something you do to draw the attention of God to the person doing the fasting. They do this so that God will hear their voice. They do this so that God will hear their desires, so that they can get what they want from their worship. God, through Isaiah, makes it tremendously clear that this is not the kind of worship that God desires. From verse 5 through verse 9, there is an epic dressing down of this mentality. God doesn't take heed that people are purposefully fasting or wearing sackcloth or sitting in ash. No, God speaks about the fast that God desires. Sharing bread with the hungry, bringing those experiencing homelessness into your house, clothing the naked, being available to your own kin. If this sounds familiar, it might be because this is most likely the basis for where Jesus' words from Matthew 25 come from. God says that it is when you are doing these things that your light will break forth. You will cry out to God and feel heard. Your needs will be satisfied and you will be called repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets to live in. But what does this have to do with you and me, my friends? Do Isaiah's words still resonate today? Absolutely they do. You see, when we allow ourselves to decide that we only like these worship songs, or we only like it when this pastor preaches, or we can only hear this particular affirmation of faith, we are boxing God in. We're saying that God can only move through this small set of things that we like. And more than that, we are then making worship about ourselves. We're choosing to look for comfort over content. We're choosing familiarity over faithfulness. We are choosing to put on sackcloth and fast so that God will pay attention to the us, all the while God is already moving in and through everything. We, like Israel, sometimes need to have our sins shouted out to us. It is not the hymn, Amazing Grace, that gives us such grace. We are not the church of Chris Tomlin. It is not the length, style, or structure of the prayer that brings honor to God. No, God is not concerned with how we reorder worship, but that worship reorders us. God desires that we be changed and moved in worship, not because of what we sing or pray or preach, but because of who God is and what God asks of us. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly, to love our neighbors, to love each other, to love our enemies. Many people look for a church of comfort on Sunday mornings, and there is comfort in community and in God's love. But far too often, we gloss over the challenge of the scriptures, and there is challenge there. God is calling us to fulfill our ethical obligation to justice. According to Isaiah, the future of the church is not based on somehow incorporating the newest, coolest Christian songs into worship or finding a new way to baptize someone or hipping up the message of God, but in our ability to embrace justice and create a new sense of community. And don't get it twisted, that is challenging. 
These words that Isaiah speaks are still problems today, over 2,500 years later. We still have hungry people in need of bread. We still have homeless people in need of support. We still have those who need clothing and healing and help. If anything, the connectivity that we have with the world now means we have even more of an obligation. We have prejudice that makes people's lives who are deemed lesser than or outsiders much harder. We have people working two full-time jobs that still can't afford to keep the lights on and pay for heating and pay for food for their family. We have a lack of reliable public transportation throughout the country, making it much harder to keep or get a job if you don't have a car. We have a mental health crisis whose budget has been absolutely slashed to pieces. We have a vast divide between education that children get in different parts of the country. The gap between the haves and the have-nots grows ever larger every day, all the while God is crying out, saying, stop arguing over what songs do and do not belong in worship and help my people. Help your brothers and sisters. We argue about how to serve communion, meanwhile God's children die from starvation. We argue about if Jesus truly healed lepers and blind men. Meanwhile, our brothers and sisters cannot afford medication. We argue about polity and policy and politics and liturgy. We argue about reality versus metaphor, about bodily versus spirit, about who believes what and if that is allowed all the while around our golden tower full of arguments, the children of God cry out and die. Who cares what we sing if we do not share? Who cares what we pray if we do not seek justice? Who cares what we believe if we do nothing to help God's people? According to Isaiah, not God. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion. To the house of Jacob, their sins. We want God to fill us and comfort us when we come to church. But Isaiah reminds us that God is full of challenge and uncomfortability. Throughout the scriptures, God continually makes people feel uncomfortable. God pushes people past their comfort zones more often than not. God called Abraham to a brand new land that he did not know. And then he called him to kill his son. God called Moses to be a public speaker even though he was a stutterer. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh even though he didn't want to because he had heard about that town. Even Jesus asked that his cup be taken from him. God is a God of uncomfortability. Asking us to do more than even we think we can. This call in the words of Isaiah and later Jesus in Matthew is to seek the kingdom of God. In order to do that, we need to first quit finger pointing, quit arguing, quit worrying about what exactly we will be doing in worship and if we will be using the things that we like and seek first God's righteousness. And when we do that, all of these things will be given to us. 
Our light will shine forth. We will become beacons for others. We will become restorers, repairers, a spring of water. We will give life in parched places. You see, Abraham was blessed in his new land. He did not kill his son, for God provided a ram. Moses led God's people out of slavery. Jonah led the Ninevites to repent. And Jesus' movement has continued on into today, 2,000 years after his death and resurrection. What we need to do is reorient ourselves back to God. Stop worrying about what we want from worship and instead worry about what God wants to tell us through worship. God is continually moving and breathing and speaking through all things at all times. So don't listen for your favorite song, but listen for God's breath as you sing. Don't seek a message to reiterate what you already hold, but allow God to push you and make you uncomfortable. Seek not the desires of your own heart in worship, but allow worship to recenter you to seek the heart of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.